Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna alhamda lillahi na'hmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa nasta'hdiuhu wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina. فمن يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ثم اما بعد we've come to a section in the book that i mentioned to you might be a little controversial or at the very least interesting because we were talking about how does one select a mentor which is more than a teacher. I actually don't consider myself anyone's mentor except my daughter that I don't see. So maybe I'm not even her mentor, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, but we're not talking about teachers. We all have teachers, right? Anything I say to you, you can take or you can leave. None of it is binding. We don't have a formal mentor-mentee relationship. And I don't want a formal mentor-mentee relationship with really anybody besides my children. We just have a teacher-student relationship. I sit, I attempt to say or impart something of value. If there's benefit in it, you say, Alhamdulillah. If you don't find benefit in it, you say, the brother tried to do something good, Alhamdulillah. And then that's it. He's talking about more of a, a formal relationship, like she is my spiritual guide. He is my spiritual guide, that kind of teacher, right? So among my other teachers that I learned this from or that from, this is like my mentor. And he was elucidating or enumerating or listing the qualities that you should look for in such a person. And just to review them really quickly, I won't go through uh, an explanation of each, but these are some of the things that he said. He said... You want to find someone that uh, has great self-discipline, someone that controls their consumption, like how they eat, how they drink, uh, how they speak. You want to find someone that stays awake at night in prayer, doesn't use the night just for resting, but rather uses the night for worship. You want to find someone who gives charity, you want to find someone given to the practice of fasting, and you want to find someone that they themselves have benefited from the tutelage of a teacher, meaning the instruction they are giving you, they have also been given. And you want to find someone that is patient, someone that is grateful, someone that trusts in God, someone that has certainty, someone that is generous, again, someone that is content, someone that is tranquil, someone that is forgiving, someone that is humble, someone that is learned, someone that is honest, someone that is modest, someone that is loyal, someone that has dignity, and that's where we stopped last week. So we've come to two more qualities, calmness and deliberateness, right? In Arabic, these are someone that is calm 
And, you know, calmness was one of the chief characteristics of the Prophet He was relatable and he was connected to the people around him without ever heightening their anxiety, right? God said concerning the Prophet in the Quran, Azizun alayhi ma'anittum. Everything that happens to you, he can feel it. Like one of the things that I find remarkable about the Prophet was that he didn't have like this stoic, cold, unemotional disposition that sometimes we associate with people of great spirituality. It's like nothing rattles them. Nothing shakes them. If you tell them like this happened, they're just like, it's the will of God. Do you know what's happening? God has willed it. This is how we, you know, one of the things that has been mentioned about Socrates, the Greek philosopher, is that Socrates is never recorded as having cried. Like he didn't show, you know, Socrates was stoic. And I remember one reader of Socrates saying, how can a man who never cried be my ultimate teacher about life. If you've never shed tears, what can you really say about like this life, right? There's a certain kind of emotionality that if you want to be my guide spiritually, you have to know that range of emotions because some things in fatherhood bring me to tears, both good tears and Tears of frustration. Where's my daughter? I don't know right now. I'm not going to cry about that, but I want her to hear me say that. There are some things about love, some things about loss, some things about longing that bring me to tears. And if you don't know that, I don't know that you would qualify as like a mentor of mine, right? At the same time, the Prophet ﷺ was not an anxious person, right? When things happened to him, he displayed emotion, but he was never rattled. He was never anxious. You know, the word Iman in the Arabic language, it comes from Amin, which means safety. That a person of Iman is a person that no matter what's happening around her, she still feels safe and secure in her reliance upon Allah. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have emotion, right? Um, there was a woman in the time of the Prophet, one of his companions, may God be pleased with her. And she lost her son. So she's grieving heavily. And there's nothing wrong with grieving. You know, when the Prophet lost his wife, who was his confidant, his internal support, and in the same year lost his uncle, who was his external support, right? People refer to that year as Amul Huzn, the year of sadness. And it wasn't like he came out to people and announced to them, um, I just want you all to know, I'm in the year of sadness. No, there was something visible, something demonstrable that people could see Ever since this loss, he's been different. That's human. 
man, he's not moving like he used to move. He doesn't seem as buoyant or carefree as he used to seem. That's human. And they noticed that in him for an entire year. Amul Huzn. Sometimes we don't give people a moment to grieve. He was grieving for an entire year. But this woman, not only was she grieving, but she was pulling her clothes, right? So she was, she was tearing her clothes and she was cursing the decree of God. She was saying things about Allah like, why did you do this to me? How could this happen to me? Are you real? Why are you doing this to me? Is this a curse? She was really um, struggling. And the Prophet وسلم, seeing her struggling in this way, he approached her and he said, sister, if you try to exhibit some patience, God will help you. And she looked at the messenger of God and she said to him, get out of my face. What happened to me didn't happen to you. So don't talk. Now she didn't know. This was a man who survived all of his children except one. Every child of the Prophet Sallallahu died before him except who? Except Fatima. So he actually had some context for what she was experiencing. It wasn't that, now everybody experiences loss differently. So I don't know exactly what you're experiencing, right? We, we recently in our community, a brother lost his wife and I didn't know exactly what he was experiencing, but I had a sense of what he was experiencing because I also lost my wife. So when she said to the Prophet get out of my face. You don't know how, you don't know how this is. This isn't your struggle. Look at the emotional intelligence of the Prophet He didn't say to her, how dare you disrespect God's message. He didn't even explain to her, you know what? I do have some context for what you're going through. He just said, I understand. And he walked away. Okay. You're not in the mood to talk right now. You're not someone that can be reasoned with in this moment. The hadith only mentions that she calmed down. We don't know how long it was. It could have been days, could have been weeks, could have been merely hours. And when she calmed down, someone said to her, you know that man that you just cursed out? That man that attempted to calm you and you cursed him out? That was the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this woman, her iman was so great that she immediately became filled with shame. Oh my God. In my rage, what have I done? She went to the home of the Prophet ﷺ. She knocked on his door. And she said the same thing that you would say. Hey, yo, man, I didn't know it was you. <laughs> hey, you know, I was, I was in my thing in that moment, and I didn't realize that I was talking to God's messenger. And the Prophet ﷺ said, don't worry about what you said to me. I've taken no offense, sallallahu alayhi. You didn't offend me at all. But know 
when God tries you with calamity, you have to display patience. You have to try to be patient from the very beginning. As soon as it happens, the test is on. It's not like you feel frustration, you break a window, and then you turn over a table. And then you say, you know, I'm just going to be patient about this. I'm just going to chill. Just going to chill. Right? You flip the other driver off. You yell out your window. And then you say, you know what, man, why am I tripping? No, you want to try to be patient as soon as you get cut off. Man, this, you know what, subhanAllah, subhanAllah. Glory to God, man. Glory to God. You know, <clears throat> there was one comedian. He said, you know, everybody should have their, their phone number on their license plate. And there would be less road rage. Because if somebody did something impolite on the road, you could just call them and say, hey, man, I think you did back there at the light. That wasn't godly, brother. Okay, later. But instead, you got to get that. You got to get, hey. You know, you want to be patient right from the very beginning. So the Prophet wasallam, he was not stoic. He was not robotic. But he was deliberate. He was composed. Sukun. Composure. He was composed. He was collected. Right? You know, uh, there's a popular expression. To lose your, you know what? Somebody see, oh man, I lost my shh. The Prophet did not lose his shh. He was composed, right? So you want to have a teacher that even when things are hot, they don't fly off the handle, right? They're feeling it. And they're making no apology about feeling human emotion. Yeah, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed, but I'm not going to fly across the table and, and, and choke anybody. I'm not going to get out of my car and point a pistol at somebody. But I'm, I'm frustrated. I get frustrated like other people get frustrated, right? I'm not going to stand and start cursing the will of God at the top of my lungs, but I'm disappointed that I didn't match into the med program that I wanted to. I'm frustrated about what's happening between my wife and I. I'm frustrated. Not me, alhamdulillah. My wife is great. If you see her, make sure I, you tell her I said that. I need all the points that I can get. But yeah, I get, I get frustrated like anybody else, but I'm calm. I'm calm. And I let God do God's work. You know, whenever I think about calmness, especially in a state of calamity, you have to leave room for God to be God. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated, but I'm going to pause. And I'm going to let God do what God does, which is provide relief to his servants. I'm calm. I'm just going to pause for a minute. And I'm just going to be present with this negative emotion. I'm going to sit with this. And I'm going to let God do what God does. I'm not going to, right? really quick without thinking. The next quality he mentions is ta'anni. The Prophet wasallam said, al-anatu min Allahi wal-ajlatu 
من الشيطان. The Prophet said, whenever you are doing something and you're taking your time, أتأني من الله والعجلة من الشيطان. Whenever you're doing something and you, you can do it, uh, taking your time, this is a sign that God, that, mashallah, whenever I need to feel like I'm doing a good job, I give something like that, alhamdulillah. Whenever you need to um, know whether or not the hand of God is in your action, how do you feel as you're doing it? Do you feel like composed, deliberate together? Or do you feel hurried, rushed, frenzied, panicked? That that feeling of being frenzied, hurried, rushed, panicked. She wants to know, are we getting married right now? Yes or no? This is from Shaitan, right? They're telling me right now, do you want the job or don't you want the job? It's now or never. This is from Shaitan. This is from Shaitan, right? I asked one of my teachers, why? He said, because the faster you go, the more mistakes you make, right? The more deliberate your pace, the more thoughtful your pace. I'm moving deliberately and I'm moving thoughtfully, right? When I'm rushing, I'm not moving as thoughtfully. You know, there used to be a club downtown on Lake called Club Velocity. Every time I would ride by, I said, look, see? Well, shaitan, speed. It's from shaitan. And the name of the club is Velocity. <laughs> velocity. You know, get in there, man. You know, things are happening. Really, really quickly. That's why they call it Club Velocity. Right? And uh, there was a brother that I knew. He used to love going to Club Velocity. And he was, he was a, a Muslim friend of mine. And I would say, look, you know, Shaitan is telling you what's up, man. Look, it's called Club Velocity. And he would just say, I know, I know, I know, I know. Right? You, you, you take your time, it's from Allah. You rush, it's from Shaitan. So you want to have a mentor who takes their time, right? They don't appear to be in a rush. Right? He said, if you find a teacher like that, then he or she is a ray of light from the Prophet وسلم, and is fit to be followed. However, finding someone like this is uncommon. It's very, very rare that you will find a person that truly embodies those qualities. He said, whoever is aided by good luck and thereby finds a teacher, finds a mentor, like we've described, then 
if this mentor accepts them and you know agrees to teach them, agrees to counsel you, it is very important that you respect this person inwardly and outwardly. You know, respect is very important for learning. You know, I used to be an athlete once upon a time. If you saw me play basketball now, it would be hard for you to believe that I used to be really serious about playing basketball. And the weird thing, I swear, what you do comes back to haunt you. Because when I was really playing the game and I was really serious about it, I would see older guys and they would say to me, you know, back in the day, and I was so disrespectful. I'm like, well, if you really knew it, it should be like riding a bike. I mean, I couldn't imagine myself not having ability on the court. I would, I would say stuff like, man, look, I would come in the gym and do the same thing if I was 60. Couldn't do it by the time I reached 25. It was over. It's a wrap. It's been one. But one of the, the qualities that made a good player, made a good athlete was something called coachability. Are they coachable? Meaning, can they be coached? Like, if you really think that you are great, you are the kind of athlete no one can really coach you, right? If you think, I know everything, I got this, I'm more talented than you ever were, I'm going to be more talented than you can imagine, who can tell me anything? You know, there's a saying, a pitcher, a pitcher of water that's full, you can't put anything in it. So if you are filled with your own opinions, your own ideas, and it's okay to be a person of conviction, but you know so much that nobody can guide you. It's going to be very difficult for you to reach your max potential because you have cut yourself off from the guidance that can come from other people. You know, being that kind of person among other things, it's very lonely because you're not the kind of person that someone else can offer you perspective. I already know everything. I already know everything. And this is why, you know, one sheikh, he said, if you bring me someone that acknowledges their um, um, Ignorance is, we were speaking Arabic, but it, when we say ignorance in English, it has such a negative connotation, right? It's like, a, like, we mean like almost like incapable of learning. He just meant like someone that acknowledges that they don't know something. If someone comes and says, you know, um, perfect example, perfect example. A brother was getting married and he said, you know, I realized that I don't know yet how to be a husband to you. As he's entering marriage counseling with this woman, he can be shown. I don't know. I realize that I'm not, I'm not yet aware of 
what I should do or how I should do it. See, a person like that, I'm, I, can, I can be taught. The sheikh was saying, someone like that, all I need with that person is a half a day. A half a day. And I think I can equip them with what they need to be a good, solid, practicing Muslim. But the person that comes to me, hey, man, I don't know. That's what I'm here for. It's like, you what do you know about this? Well, not a whole lot. That's why I've come to you. Right? He said, on the other hand, if you take someone that knows they are an expert, they know everything, man, I could spend years and still I wouldn't be able to impart anything of substance or value to them. Because they just feel like they know it all already. I already know that. You know, a very small, you know, etiquette. You know, when I was um, in Yemen, you know, I, the first place I went when I left the U.S. was Yemen. And I had a teacher in Yemen. And he would teach, but he would teach in a manner that is very similar to how I teach. He would tell a lot of stories. He would give a lot of personal anecdotes. He would like, he would give you one like verse of scripture, like from the Quran, or one hadith, or one like ruling from like, you know, a legal text. And then he would just talk a lot about it. You know, he would end up talking about his kids. He talking about, you know, his friend when they grew up. And I would get really frustrated with this in that early stage of my learning. And I swear, I didn't say anything, but I had this feeling in my heart like, man, you think I came all the way to Yemen to hear your stories, man? Just teach the book. Give me a hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Give me verses of the Quran. I don't want to hear your life story. This was just, of course, I didn't say that. But there was this like arrogant American just sitting there like, mashallah. But that's what I was thinking though. Man, I don't want to hear these stories. And I don't know how, but he caught on. He was saying something and he just stopped and said, you don't like my stories. <laughs> and I did exactly what you would do. I said, I love your stories. He said, no, you don't. I said, how do you know? He said, your, your body language. Right? When I'm, when I'm giving a verse of the Quran, you're leaning toward me like that. Like you're really trying to pay attention. When I start telling my stories, you're leaning back. Right? You're not, you're not as engaged. As I was telling my stories like this. He said, listen. If knowledge was just about conveying what's in books, you wouldn't need to come to Yemen. I could just send you an email. Read these books. Read these chapters. Read these pages. And there you have it. But I am trying to share something of my experience of living the meanings of these books. I've attempted to live these meanings. And I'm sharing with you what I found as a father, as a neighbor, as a son, as a husband, as a brother, as a friend, 
I'm trying to share that with you through stories and hope that something will resonate, something will click. He said, listen, when somebody's giving you a book and they're reading it to you, you should be listening. But even if you miss what they're saying, you can go to the library, get the book and read it yourself. But when someone is giving you something that God has given them through their experience, you should be listening even more closely because they're giving you something that if you miss it, you may never be able to get it again. It's their insight. If you, can, if you miss it, that's it. You may never hear it again. You know, Dr. Omar, Furuk Abdullah, he always carries a notebook. This is a great practice. I used to do this. I did this for like two years. I don't know why I stopped. And anything that occurred to him or anything that was said, he would just jot it down. Right? And once I was sitting with him and I said something, he jotted it down. I mean, I felt really important too. Like, whoa, whoa. I said, why do you do that? He said, I don't want to miss anything that Allah might offer of knowledge or wisdom. And you just don't know where it's coming from. Could come from just a man in the street. Could come from your personal trainer. Could come from somebody you work out with in the gym. Why am I mentioning this? Do you have a disposition that makes you open to learning from the people around you? Or is your disposition one that, I already know everything. <laughs> I already know everything. Who can teach me? So here, Imam Ghazali is saying, if you want to benefit from a mentor, the most important thing is that you have respect for her. You have respect for him that you believe that they can offer you something that you don't know. If you don't have that kind of respect, this is probably not going to go very far. Right? This is probably not going to go very far. In the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Above everyone that possesses knowledge is someone who is even more knowledgeable. The Prophet وسلم, by the consensus of our scholars, was the best of God's creation. And yet, Jibreel was still his teacher. The angel Gabriel was still his teacher. Establishing what? Everybody learns from teachers. Everyone learns from teachers. You might be more brilliant than your teacher. Like tonight, I can affirm, all of you are more brilliant than your teacher. You might be smarter than your teacher. That person is still your teacher. And as long as they're teaching you, try to gain benefit from them. You know, there's a saying in English, sometimes you can find in the creek things that you don't even find in the ocean. Right? Sometimes a very simple person can be your teacher. You might be looking for a solution to a very complex issue. It might be the gardener. It might be the delivery, the Amazon guy that you struck up a conversation with. He says, you know, when that happens with me and my son, 
this is what I normally say to them. And you're like, man, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. That, that's it right there. That can only happen if you're open to that, right? If you're not open to that process, those things will never happen for you, right? Then he mentions, as for outward respect, you should not in that setting argue with this person. Even if you know that they are mistaken. Let me explain something. Let me explain something. This doesn't mean that you accept their mistakes. It's not what we're talking about. If they're saying something and they're mistaken, like, I'm going to get real with y'all, man. Can we get real? I have studied with teachers that I knew had misogynistic views. Just keeping it 100. Just being, just being real. I have studied with people that I knew had racist views. Let's keep it 100. Some of them, as they were attempting to teach me, even made references to some of those incorrect views. And I did not address this until either after the lesson or in another sitting because I did not want to break the flow of what they were offering me in that moment. Now, I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm not saying you have to do this. But in that moment, I came here to study hadith with you. This is what I came to study with you. You said something that was like, whoa. Like, okay, I'll give you an example. True story. I'm studying hadith with a teacher. And he starts talking to me about knowledge and how nothing gives us honor like this knowledge. Like he began the lesson with like a pep talk. This is a pep talk. Like he's trying to inspire me. And he's like, God has chosen to elevate you by making you a student of this knowledge. And I was like, Mashallah. He said, I'm going to tell you a story about a man named Nafia. Nafia was not a companion, but a person in the generation that followed the companions. He was a tabia. And he was a direct student of Abdullah ibn Omar. In fact, he was the Mawla of Abdullah ibn Omar. The Mawla is like, he was the freed slave of Abdullah ibn Omar. And Nafia was East African, right? He was a slave to Abdullah ibn Omar. Abdullah ibn Omar emancipated him. And then just because they were very close, he studied from Abdullah ibn Omar. And he became very learned. And he was one of the principal teachers of Imam Malik, Nafia. And he said, Nafia was black. I was like, okay, I see the connection there. He said, and his nose was as big as my fist. 
I said, okay, where, where you going with this? I, mean, you know, I was like, where you, where you going with this? In his lips, it's mentioned in his description that his lips were huge. Okay. And then he just said it. He was ugly. And I said, okay, where, where are you going with this? But his knowledge made him illustrious. And this can happen for you. He said, with his knowledge made him illustrious in spite of his low appearance. And the same thing can happen for you. And I was like, dang, Shaq, I actually felt good about myself before this done. <laughs> like, dang, yo, that's crazy, man. That's, you know what I'm saying? What? Yeah. And in my mind, I was like, yo, that's crazy that you would say that to me. Like, I don't care how you think I look, but that you would think such a statement would resonate with me. That's, that's crazy. But I, I just looked at him and I was like, hmm, Nafia, mashallah. Nafia, one of the great scholars of our tradition and I'm, I'm inspired by his example. Let's start reading. And so we started reading. We started reading. And we read for about an hour and a half. And he was explaining every words and hadith and he's teaching me. And then when the lesson ended, I said, Sheikh Sayyid, Nafia, to me, he sounded very handsome. I just want you to know when you described him to me, he sounded very handsome. He looked and said, well, I guess beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right? But I didn't get up in that moment and just walk away. You disrespect me. You disrespect Africanity. You forget you. I don't want to learn from you. He was a renowned teacher of Hadith. I wanted to learn from him. And I thought there was benefit in learning from him. And I did challenge this idea that Nafia was the hideous, this thing, but not at the time that he was teaching. I let him be my teacher. Hmm. And I learned a lot in the class. After the class finished, he sounded to me like a very, very handsome man. I guess in the one looking, I guess beauty is in the eye of the beholder. He can sound beautiful to you. So, okay. Right. And he never told that story again. I'm sure that I was able to convey to him, you know, I have some esteem for myself. And even if you attempted to like inspire me by the story, I didn't find that part of it inspiring. You know what I'm saying? That part of it wasn't inspiring to him. His knowledge. That is very inspiring to me, that he began his life as an enslaved person, and he ended his life as one of the most celebrated scholars of Islam. That does say something about Islam, that a person could begin 
as an enslaved person and in their life as a celebrated, venerated scholar. I'm very proud that our civilization was like that. But he didn't sound ugly to me, right? My point is that none of your teachers will be perfect. Some of them will have views that are outmoded. Some of them will have biases that you don't share. That does not mean that you can't learn Arabic from them. That does not mean that you can't learn something about character from them. Doesn't mean that. It just means that this person is also a human being, right? This person is also a human being. This person may also have uh, certain affinities, things that they think are beautiful, things that they don't, things that they think are ideal for men, things they think are ideal for women. That is not exactly equivalent to them being someone that can help you reach your potential spiritually. That's what I'm saying, right? That's what I'm saying. So we'll stop there, inshallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim al-Asr. Inna l-insana lafi khusar. Illa al-ladina amanu wa amilu al-salihati wa tuwasu al-haqi wa tuwasu al-sabr. Ameen. Ya Rabbul Alameen. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.